There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. No, I don't want to know where you've been or where you're going. But I know I won't be home and you'll be on your own. Hello and welcome to the Kaching with Jane King podcast, a podcast from parents to parents to help us teach the next generation about money. Now, today's podcast is brought to you by Wasabi Rabbit. Wasabi Rabbit is a veteran-owned digital marketing agency that provides brand campaign and user experience transformations that accelerate business growth. And with me as always, Kim Mustin, friend, mom, Wall Street executive. Hi, Kim. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> so excited today. We have like a a Washington Beltway insider that doesn't live in the Beltway, which makes him have probably more common sense than most people about financial literacy. Super excited. Who do we have? Uh, we have Ted Beck, uh, the CEO of the National Endowment for Financial Education. So welcome, Ted. This is a second podcast. So I'm there honored. you go. So, but it's really important what you're doing. And Kim and I feel passionately about this too. So let's start with this PISA study. Uh, PISA, by the way, Program for International Student Assessment. Am I getting that right? Okay. Uh, just released a study shows one in five U.S. teenagers lacked basic financial literacy. So where does that put us compared that to other bad. countries? That sounds really, one really in bad. Five. One in five. Twenty percent. painfully average. Okay. Of the 15 countries involved, we were seventh. Uh, three years ago when they did the first round of this, we were also dead in the middle. So uh, if anybody remembers the terms gentlemen's see, this is kind of where we are. Uh, so we, we, we need to move the needle a little bit, and uh, there's a lot of work being done to do it, but other countries are doing better than we are. So who's number one on the list? China. China. Now, certain, it's certain provinces within China, so it's not the entire country, but it's where all the economic power is. Uh, but then Belgium was second, and Canada has been doing very well. They've moved up nicely. They're third. What are they doing? Uh, they actually have a national strategy. And uh, uh, interestingly, right now, there's about 50 countries we're aware of that are implementing or developing a national strategy. And some of them are quite impressive. Uh, so, uh, for example, Brazil, who was last in, the, in this and did poorly in the first one, they've actually started from ground zero in 2010. And their goal is to have financial education in 170,000 schools not students, schools, and also a complete education program for 50 million people who are in their pension plan. So in both of those situations, they're developing a national strategy uh, that is really gaining some uh, power. Uh, another example that may surprise you is Russia. Russia was fourth. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. They're trying to I mean, they're trying to take over everything, right? So why <laughs> well, not get they, going on this? But they had a very thoughtful program. They were behind us. 
in the last go-round. And now they're well ahead of us because they're doing it across the whole country. So you probably get to see all these strategies and you get to see the good and the bad. What are some of the core tenets of the good ones that you really like? Well, it really starts with, uh, it typically starts with teacher education and training and some really quality built into the school system. Uh, But the real secret weapon is getting parental involvement. So the ones that I quite like, it's they have a thoughtful educational program, uh, including educating teachers, which is a big gap that most countries have. But they're also encouraging people to talk about this at home which is something we think is if if we ask people to do one thing, it's talk about money at home. Talk to your kids. And I mean, that's one thing that a lot of people don't do is have these conversations. They're just afraid to. Why, Why do you think that is? Well, you know, very often we have not been the shining examples of how this should be done. So people don't like to talk about their mistakes, which is a mistake. It's okay to tell your kids that, gee, if I had a do-over, I would do it this way. And also, I think we tend to do these things, you know, you sit down and you try to cover everything at once, which this is a very complex subject. And we need, you need visual examples. You need to be able to talk about this is how this works. And there's lots of ways to do that. Uh, and the one that I harp on a lot is very often I think it becomes a lecture, not a discussion. And the, the, the key thing, one of the key things about the PISA study is it's looking at 15-year-olds. And if you think about talking to your 15-year-old, this could actually be one of the first times you get to have an adult discussion with your soon-to-be adult, because 15-year-olds become 18-year-olds, and they're going to be making big decisions, maybe on their own, because they can engage in getting credit in a few years. So have that discussion and make it a reinforced discussion that you do with some frequency, often around an example. Then I think you can really show some headway. So teacher training embedded in schools, you know, following the initial thing of parental involvement, which can start quite young. Let's go back to this this PISA study. What types of things were the kids tested on? So like when we think about financial literacy, what when you say someone has better financial literacy or another, can you give listeners an idea about some basic concepts that were tested? Well, the, the, one of the things when I was very impressed with when they designed this, and I talked to some of the folks around the world who designed this, uh, it, was a, it was an international team led, led by a woman actually out of New Zealand who helped do the design. And uh, it's not just a multiple choice, you know, when all, all else fails, guess B. Oh, uh, I always did C. Darn. Well, there's, there's <laughs> split research on which is okay. better. Uh, but it's, it was looking at things like, here's a bank statement. Tell, you know, and, and deeper questions than just, what is this? Uh, it was looking at buying insurance on a motorbike. You know, the, 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 the 15-year-old buys It's a real a, practical advice, yeah, like questions. And also the idea of bulk purchases versus individual purchases. But then you also have to go through and explain why that might not work on a perishable item. So tomatoes is what they used. Uh, also looking at an invoice to see if an invoice is correct. And imagine the challenge of trying to design an invoice that people from all over the world could look at and be graded on. So they really did a very thoughtful thing, but it's way beyond the, gee, I think I'll just take a stab at it. Because you often have to go through and explain your answer to get top marks. Why do you think the U.S. does not have a national program like we're seeing in Canada and Brazil? 
Well, there's a couple of phases to that answer. We actually do have a national strategy that's been developed. It was developed uh, really through two efforts. One is called FLEC, the Financial Literacy Education Commission, which is the 20-plus government agencies that have financial education programs. Ooh, they should call Wasabi Rabbit for better branding. Fleck, I don't know. <laughs> Which, remember, it's a, it's, it's a government thing. The other thing, there have been three White House uh, councils that have looked at financial education. So, And uh, one under President Bush, two under President Obama. I actually sat on those. And so there, there is a strategy. So the very good macro picture. Uh, the question, though, is, is all education in the U.S. is local? So you have to have implementation. So it's first left to the states to develop mandates and say, well, this is what they want in the schools. But then it comes down to the individual school system and very often the individual classroom about how well it's done. There's only five states that really have fairly serious testing requirements for graduation. And the rest have various guidelines on down to a handful of states that have no guidelines. Uh, Oh, and by the way, the one universal factor is that almost all of them are unfunded. So the content and the teacher development and the curriculum is often provided by nonprofits like ours. Okay. I know Utah has a really strong program. Utah is actually one of the five that probably Utah, Texas, uh, Georgia, Michigan, and Missouri, uh, if you want to know what those five are. Also, Virginia has a very good program. Massachusetts does well. Uh, And they're sort of the the leaders. Uh, Interestingly, the most populous state, California, has no guidelines. Wow. This could explain their budget. <laughs> well, all states Illinois, have yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, one thing I worry about with this is lower-income students, because I feel like, you know, they're not getting at-home education as much. Um, they're not learning it in the school, and, you know, they're kind of starting off behind, whereas, you know, maybe a wealthier school district, their parents would teach them. Maybe they're in banking or something like that. So I think it just kind of makes that economic gap wider. You're exactly right. And the data backs that up. If you take the 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 top category, there's five categories of performance. The, the 22% that didn't do well is in the bottom category that are not meeting the minimum standards. Only 10% were in the top category. But if you uh, do the homework about figuring out what comes from higher income schools, there, the U.S. results are quite good. 45% were in the top category. And in the lower-income schools, only 3% were. So there is a big income divide here. And that's part of the, what the big issue is. You know, it's what they hear at home. It's that parental involvement we talked about. The, the study started at 15, but financial education should start a lot earlier, right? When do you think it realistically can start in... Um, and how, how does that, what are some of the tenets of that that could be, make it more successful? Well, I think you can start at a very early age. Uh, you know, one of, the thing, one of the tools that we recommend to people, and I, I used to be the chairman of this organization, so I have full disclosure, but the Jumpstart Coalition, which is the coalition of all the people who do financial education, uh, has very good guidelines that they put out that a lot of the states use for their mandates. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, if you go to Jumpstart National Standards, you can find it. And... They start at kindergarten saying, here are things that you should have, your child should know. So, Because it's very hard to sit down and say, what does a kindergartner, what, what really should I be talking about? Uh, and then it look, does it again at fourth grade, eighth grade, and twelfth grade. So if, if a parent is trying to say, oh, wh- where should we be? 
that's a good tool. What was that website again? Uh, Jumpstart Coalition National Standards. It'll, it'll pop up. And the, a, a series of academics put these together. They're very well designed. Uh, and a lot of states, as I said, use them. But when people ask me, what should I talk to my kid about? I say, well, you know, don't try to explain portfolio investment to an eighth grader unless it's the next Warren Buffett. But, you know, th- these are things that you can actually say, oh, okay, here. And the other thing is use day-to-day examples, even, and especially for a very young child, to get back to the question. If, if your child sees you go to the ATM and take money out, gee, that's magic. It's like the checkbook fairy, and everything's good. When your statement comes in, save the receipt, and then go back and say, now, remember, I told you we were going to do this. We took this money out, and here's the statement. I put money in, and then I took this out, this out, this out, and I need to make sure there's money left at the ends, so that the next time I put in, there's money so we can have what we need in our house. It's closing the circle. Because everybody says in a digital world, it's not like the old days where you had a bank account. We'll come, we, hopefully, we can come back to that. Uh, but it's just closing that circle so they see how the money went in and how it came out. And your responsibility is to refill that bucket. Yeah, it was funny this weekend. I, had to, I wrote a check to someone because I owed them some money. And my kids were like, what is that? And I said, it's a check. How does that work? So I explained it. And then um, later on in the weekend, I uh, needed cash, and we were out of town. And we went to a bank, and they knew it wasn't our bank. And I thought that was pretty astute they even figured that out. But it was an emergency situation. I just had to, like, find the closest one. Truth be told, I was in a cab and didn't have enough money to pay him, so it was like one of those. So anyway, uh, they said, well, you know, what is? how does that bank give you money? That's not our bank. I said, they give it to you, but they charge me $3.50 extra <laughs> for, the, for the privilege of it. So there are some great lessons along the way. And actually, if you could just stay on the bank thing for a bit, they looked at the, uh, across all the countries in the PISA study, what were some of the factors of people doing better? And actually having a bank account was a noticeable difference across the board. So, you know, 15-year-olds, savings accounts still exist. You yeah, can go to a sure. bank or credit union and get them. But just that the reality check of seeing money that has their name on it was a noticeable difference. Yeah, and I remember we had a conversation with somebody on the podcast who talked about how banks used to welcome kids. Come in, you'd open accounts, and they'd get kind a lollipop. of... Yeah, they'd kind of walk you through the process, and now they just don't seem to care um, about kids, for example, my kids both have savings accounts and they'll save up their change. So we'll take it in in their little Ziploc bags and they make them roll them up into, into the paper. It's just like an extra burden that the bank does. And I actually told, you know, I told him, I said, you don't make it easy for kids to save money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not that the teller can do anything about it, but it was something that I thought like the kids should be able to come in and should be able to make a deposit and not have to spend an hour at the bank rolling pennies in a paper thing. Oh, there's there's a wonderful bank in uh, Denver, Colorado, where we're based. It's called Young America's Bank. Uh, and it is specifically for children. It's actually an FDIC. We don't have any. Wow. We, we know them. We're, we're not uh-huh. associated with them. But when you go in, it's it, once I think it's either 18 or 20, you have to leave. You have to move your account somewhere else. And if you go to the teller line, they have little stools so the kids can get up and talk to them. So they really are totally designed to focus. Now, obviously, it's subsidized by a foundation. But and the, we're, but we're seeing a lot of examples where children are welcome. Credit unions are actually quite good about this. 
So that's another alternative for people that sometimes you may not think of. Mm, good to know. So you talked about something I'm really just confounded with all the time, which is digital. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I had money and you put it in your pocket. And then when you go somewhere, you see when you're running out. But kids today really can't see. We're Venmoing, we're PayPaling. Talk about a little bit about how parents should be thinking about teaching in a digital marketplace where you really can't see the mistakes that you might be making. Well, you know, part of it is keeping track. I mean, in our family, we go through our bank accounts every day just to make sure something bad hasn't happened. And we've done it for aging parents. We look at their accounts. Uh, it's just to make sure. Do the same thing with a child. Say, so let's just kind of look at where you are, because very often they're using your either creditworthiness or your money, uh, especially if they're under 18, uh, and just sit down and say, okay, what was all this? And realize how it adds up. And sometimes, depending, and this is where you need to know your child. Sometimes that lesson sinks in. Sometimes it doesn't. You don't need to put more money in the account. You can say, okay, you're in the penalty box for a while. And uh, that hits home. So it's closing that circle so they see the complete transaction and how it cycles through their budgeting lives every month. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, too, is just kind of teaching them um, delayed gratification. So you know those fidget spinner things that were just so hot, like in May. Well, my daughter's birthday's in May, and she wanted like three for herself and one for everybody that was coming to her birthday party. And they were like... 15 bucks each because everybody wanted them. They were they were the top five toys on Amazon. All fidget spinners. I saw a guy selling them at the subway stop before I got here for like three bucks. Oh, yeah. I've come down. Well, this was in May. So I told her, I said, I'm going to write in my date book on July 1, we're going to check and see if fidget spinners are still hot. And um, I mean, they, they died much quicker than that. It was like two weeks and they're like, they're over. And But I think it's just a matter of like getting them to just realize it's a trend, it's a fad and... Don't waste your money on it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be fine. Several years ago, I was asked to give a talk at one of the top business schools in the country, and uh, uh, where my wife actually went, which was kind of funny because they asked her if she'd ever been there before, and her graduation picture was like where we were talking, uh, her class graduation picture. But you know, trying to figure out, okay, these are business students; they're on their way to the top consulting top firms. So, so what's the best advice? you ever got. And there was a, a very capable, very intelligent young woman. And they, they were all sort of like, well, you know, I read this book or, you know, and they were trying to make it look like they were really smart. Yeah. And, uh, but then this one young woman said, you know, the best advice I ever got was from my parents. And that is sleep on it. Because if there's something you really want, sleep on it. And if it's not as shiny the next day, maybe you don't want it. No, that still applies when, you know, you're well into adulthood. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Ted, for joining us. It was fun. Thanks oh, for having me. Wonderful to meet you in person and coming in from Denver for this. And uh, thank you as well, Kim Mustin, uh, co-host, and also uh, Rob Schulte, the producer of The Kaching with Jane King. And today's podcast brought to you by Wasabi Rabbit. Wasabi Rabbit is a veteran-owned digital marketing agency that provides brand campaign and user experience transformations that accelerate business growth. And thank you for listening. Uh, we love to hear all your comments and your questions and we're hashtag kids kaching on all the socials and we'll catch you next time
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.